Uh, we'll be flipping around just a little bit today. If you are a visitor with us, welcome. Um, we are in the middle of a series on the book of Hebrews, and so this is our third week, uh, and we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, just a great passage this morning. I, uh, a couple months ago, moved into a uh, moved out of my apartment into a house, um, and uh, with a, a buddy of mine, we're renting it, and it's a, a really nice house. It's an older house, um, and I have the master bedroom um, way in the back. Uh, and so it's in the very back of the house. Um, and so uh, apart from getting cold in there, really my only complaint is that the internet signal is not very strong. Uh, so like a router in a little apartment, I mean, that's fine. It kind of goes everywhere. Um, so, I mean, I find myself, and maybe like Wednesday, I was sitting in my room and, and trying to look up some news stuff. Uh, and uh, I'm waiting like eight seconds for a page to load. And I'm just getting mad. Like, I'm like, oh, what am I doing here? Uh, and then all of a sudden, like I remember 10, 11, 12 years ago, um, when I was a, a young guy, I don't know if, if you remember this, an internet was dial-up. Do you remember that? So to connect to the internet, you had to, I mean, I mean, literally call the internet and your phone line was tied up. Uh, I can remember when my dad bought us a, a new desktop uh, as a household and, and we had internet and it was kind of crazy. Um, and so, I mean, back then, you're waiting like 20 seconds to have a page loaded. Uh, for a picture, I mean, you're waiting a long time. Videos were out of the question. Uh, and so I'm just kind of thinking about, you know, the eight seconds is not that bad. I mean, we've come a long way. Uh, and really just, I mean, just think about the last 10 or 15 years and kind of what's changed in our lives. I mean, it's really, I mean, internet. So I've got an iPhone that gets internet everywhere. I mean, it, it pretty much does anything except make phone calls. Thanks to AT&T. Uh, <laughs> doesn't do great phone calls, but, but it does pretty much everything else. Um, and so, I mean, we've got internet everywhere. When I was a child, we had VHS I mean, that's how we watched movies on these big, like, black... Now it's DVDs, and we had VHS, big cameras that were real heavy, um, black and white. Now we have camcorders and tiny little pocket things. I mean, the world's come a long way uh, in just 10 or 15 years um, in our time. Uh, and, and, I mean, I was thinking this week, uh, I mean, if you look at the history of mankind, so just humans, our species, what have we accomplished? I mean, the list is pretty impressive. Like, if you were to sit down and think about what have humans done... Um, since the beginning of time. Like, what, what things have we accomplished or achieved? Uh, so you've got these large-scale construction projects. So the Egyptian pyramids. I mean, ancient, ancient times, building these huge, beautiful pyramids. Um, you've got, I mean, the Great Wall of China, Mount Rushmore, the Eiffel Tower, whatever it is. Uh, up to, I mean, go to Reliant Stadium downtown. I mean, that thing is huge. And you've got, human, I mean, we just built these real big, magnificent buildings. And then you've got kind of like theoretical, conceptual, idea type stuff that we've come up with and, and used for our advantage. Um, so language, I mean, the fact that we've created language and, and new languages and, and writing and the printing press and, and ways to communicate and all those things. Um, math, I mean, numbers. I'm not a math guy, I know some of you are. Um, but, I mean, math, we, we've thought of math and numbers and, and been able to use it and make, create formulas and, and all these complex ideas to be able to, to help us. Um, and really, I think... And if we, we look out on history, maybe the, the crowning, I mean, maybe the, the best thing we've ever done is just develop the ability to use tools, to, to take something else and use it for our own advantage, to leverage it for our good. Um, so, I mean, from what fire, the wheel, um, you've got, I mean, all these things that we've, we've taken and used as a tool to, to help us. Um, ocean travel, air travel. I mean, this is summer I flew across the world in under two days for very cheap and, and years ago, I mean, that would have been a long travel if I survived it. 
And now it's, I mean, you just kind of buy a ticket and you get on the plane and, and you soar through the air and you're there. Um, computers. So I don't know a lot about computers, but I know my computer does just about everything I want it to do. Uh, and, and a computer guy once explained to me that it's really just a, a big system of yes or no questions. Uh, and everything just gets boiled down to yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. Somehow that comes to like a mouse and, and a screen and a picture or what have you. Um, and so as you, you look across them, and I'm just sitting there this week, and, and particularly because of this passage, um, and thinking about what man has accomplished, I mean, what we have accomplished. I'm, I'm lumping us all in here with mankind, with, with the human species. Now, I didn't create a language, and I didn't work on math. Um, I mean, my role in the species is I read the Bible and talk about it. Uh, so I'm not going to be in the history books, um, and, and maybe you're not either, but, but if we lumped ourselves into mankind, I mean, I think we could give ourselves a pat on the back. I mean, we, just think, I mean, we've done some impressive things uh, throughout history. However, I mean, up to this day, it seems like, I mean, we're just still kind of owned by the same stuff. I mean, it seems like we're, we're still just kind of struggling with the same stuff that we've always been struggling with. So violence, poverty, sickness death. I mean, it just, it seems like, I mean, since the beginning of time, we, we still, no matter what we do, no matter what achievement we have, no matter what technology comes up, I mean, we're still dying. We're still killing each other. There's still poor people all over the world. There's still sicknesses that we can't cure, or that we can cure, but we won't or can't get the cure to everybody. I mean, it just seems like we're still struggling with this weight, with this darkness that's around us. And so, uh, I mean, War is everywhere right now. I mean, if you weren't. So, it wasn't too long ago that we thought war was about to die. I mean, we thought war was about to end with a war. Logic doesn't, doesn't work there. Um, but, I mean, we're in war everywhere. Uh, my grandfather is dying a uh, slow death to cancer, which is a very common thing. I mean, sickness, cancer, they're things we can't battle against. And it's just a slow, painful battle. Um, and then, uh, if you've been in the news, uh, there's a, a Christian in Afghanistan uh, who's scheduled to be executed for becoming a Christian in a Muslim nation. Um, so he's getting a lot of press right now. People are praying and thinking about him, um, which he deserves, and it's sad and disappointing. At the same time, you've got to realize something that's happening everywhere. Uh, Christianity is a persecuted faith. Um, people are being killed and, and being imprisoned and, and things like that. Um, and so you, you've got, I mean... Humans, with, with all that we've done and all that we've accomplished, and, and I mean, just in trying to imagine what will happen in the next 10 years, 15 years, 50 years. Um, but then you still got, I mean, just this darkness around us. This kind of weight that we all kind of feel and, and face, and, and that really hits us at certain times. Um, but the scriptures, they, they hold out and have held out hope for us. I mean, since the very beginning, hope that because of who God is, because of His love and His grace, um, that, that things would be better. Um, that man would be delivered and rescued and, and things would work and be as they were intended to work and to be. Um, and the scriptures, particularly this passage here in Hebrews 2, we'll pick up in verse 5, um, center our hope on Jesus, on the man Jesus, the man who lived and walked and died. And he says that all of mankind, all of our hope, all of history, all of it, God's purposes have been pointing toward him. And in Him alone we, we find salvation, we find rescue, we find all the things that we're looking for. So we'll pick it up in verse 5 here. Hebrews 2, verse, verse 5. He says this, Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. If you remember um, from last week, 
Uh, we talked a lot about angels, and so angels were believed by the Jews to have brought the law to God's people, and so they were very important. So uh, last week, um, from verse 5 in chapter 1 up to uh, verse 4 in chapter 2, um, really the argument is this, Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than the angels, he's better than the angels, he's better than the angels. So listen to him, he's important. Don't ignore him, don't ignore his salvation. Here we again have a comparison to the angels, but he says it wasn't to the angels that God subjected the world to come. Now this phrase, the world to come, um, is referring to the kingdom of God. It's, it's referring to a time when all of God's promises will be fulfilled for creation. And so, so Revelation would put it like this. Um, it's a time when there's no pain, when there's no tears, when there's no mourning, when there's no death. It's, it's what, the hope that we have. It's, it's what we're waiting for. It's what we're longing for. At the end of the day, it's what all of us want. And he's saying, now, who rules that? It's not the angels. It's not God's messengers. Who was put in charge of the world to come? He's going to turn to Psalm chapter 8 here in verse 6. Um, really, this passage, uh, verses 5 through 9, could be seen as, as really just a sermon on Psalm 8. Uh, it's him taking Psalm 8 uh, and making a, a really intense point about Jesus from it. So, so look at verse 6 here. It has been testified somewhere. Now notice here, uh, he's quoting Psalm 8, and he quotes it verbatim here, uh, three verses. Um, but he's very vague in this, this introduction. It's been testified somewhere. Well, he knows where it's coming from. I mean, he's looking at it. He's copying it. Um, but the author of Hebrews is very much concerned with the fact that Scripture was God-breathed, that God spoke Scripture, um, not necessarily that it was a, a historical situation or where exactly it is. So he says, it's been testified somewhere. Somewhere it's been said by God through man, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Okay, now to understand this, here's what we're going to do. We have to go back to the beginning. So we're going to go to Genesis, and we're going to walk through up to Psalm 8 which is what he's quoting from, and it's going to lead us right back here uh, into Hebrews 2. So flip with your Bibles to me to Genesis chapter 1. You can't understand Psalm 8, uh, or the, the text he's quoting here, if you don't understand the beginning, um, which is found in Genesis 1. We'll pick it up in verse 26 here. We're going to follow the path from Genesis 1 to Psalm 8, uh, and then it'll lead us right back into Hebrews chapter 2, um, and hopefully help us understand the point that he's making here. Genesis 1, verse 26 is where we'll pick it up. <clears throat> if you uh, remember, this is the creation story. This is a real famous passage. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Pay attention to verse 28. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, here we see the role given to humans by God. So God is creating, and he, he creates the world, he creates animals, he creates the sea, he creates the sky, then he creates humans. And he says, take care of it all. Be fruitful, multiply, fill it, and subdue it. Have dominion. Take care of it. Cultivate it. Creation, in, in Genesis, is not a static picture. It's not a, 
um, kind of abstract perfection that, that you're just kind of sitting in. Uh, it, it has a goal. It, it's meant to go somewhere. So God creates everything, creates the humans, and then says what? There's work to be done. There's work to be done. There's wilderness around you. There's wild beasts around you. Go subdue it. Have dominion over it. So if you, you've heard me preach, um, this is what I think the image of God means. I don't think it refers to our nature or our character as much as it refers to our role in creation. Human beings were created to lead God's creation into his future. Let me answer your first slide. We were created to lead God's creation into his future. To be an image of God means to be a representative of God. It means to be um, an agent of God on um, what he has created. Now, God has a, a future for creation, and, and man's given the task of taking it there, um, of, of representing God on creation, subduing, having dominion, blessing, being fruitful and multiplying. But if you keep reading the story in Genesis 3, um, Adam and Eve, first humans, rebel. They disobey. Um, this real ancient, beautiful story of, of how human, I mean, just at the core of our hearts, we, we push God away, we rebel, we go our own way. And in that moment, um, Genesis would say, something fractured. Something fractured in us and in the world and between us and God. Uh, and so, um, now creation uh, is separate from us in, in a way that it, it brings us pain and brings us toil and we sweat against it. Um, there's this... Um, discord now between us and the work we're supposed to do with creation. Um, and now our relationships with each other, the man and the woman, they're strained. Our relationships with God are strained. And then death enters into the world. Really, I mean, the, the ultimate evil in the biblical story. If God creates life, and it's very good, then death, the end of that life, the destruction of that life, is the opposite of very good. It's, it's the ultimate evil to creation. And it enters into the world. And sin, it, it, it kind of seemingly derails the plan for humanity. Um, it, it takes us off track. Um, but God right away commits to raising up a replacement um, for Adam and Eve. Uh, he doesn't destroy creation. I mean, He doesn't uh, just kind of fry us all up. He thinks about it in Genesis. He sends a flood, kills most everybody. But he, he comes in Genesis 12 and he says what? He, he calls Abram and he says, I'm going to make a family out of you. And through you, I'm going to bless everybody. Through you, I will undo what sin has done to the world. So he raises up Israel to carry forth God's purposes. And now if you walk through Genesis, what you'll see over and over and over again is the way that God talked to Adam and Eve, he's now talking to Israel. So I want to show you this, just one example. If you walk through Genesis, you'll see it multiple times. Um, flip to Genesis uh, chapter 26. Genesis 26. Now don't forget what you read in, in Genesis 1. I want you to notice um, the similarities here. I want you to see the way God was talking to Adam and Eve. He's now talking to Israel. And there's a couple differences. Genesis 26, we'll pick it up in verse 1. This is Isaac. God will come and talk to Isaac. Uh, Isaac's a descendant of Abraham, part of Israel. Now there is a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. So journey in this land, and I will be with you. Now listen, and will bless you. 
For to you and your offspring I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven will give your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So now Israel will be blessed, and now Israel will multiply, and now Israel will be given the land. Not all of creation now, but the land, the promised land. Notice the difference that takes place here. In Genesis 1, it's a command and a statement. He blessed them and then commanded them to do things. Go subdue, go have dominion. Well, now it's a future reality. It's a promise. I will bless you. I will multiply you. I will give you this land. I will make you the blessing to all people. This is God saying, I'm I'm raising up another part of my creation to carry forth my purposes, to step in where all of mankind has failed. But if if you keep reading, I mean, Israel is no better off than anybody else, are they not? I mean, if they're kind of the hope for the world, if they're the ones going to take creation into God's future, then, then we're all kind of in a, in a bind. Because from the very beginning, I mean, they're completely as broken as anybody else was, as Adam and Eve were. They're owned by their own desires. They can't control themselves. They end up spending most of their history uh, being punished for their sin. Not in a place where they can and take forth God's purposes in creation, take his work into the future. And so that brings us to Psalm 8. Now, while the, the Israelites um, held out this hope, this, this destiny, I mean, this was the purpose for man. This was the definition of being a human, the image of God, being used by God to lead his creation into the future. Um, while they knew something was broken in that, they still looked back to Genesis 1 um, and, and thought about and, and wondered at the role given to man. Um, so Psalm 8 is a um, poem, is a song uh, that was used a lot in the New Testament. Uh, here in Hebrews we see it quoted, uh, and, and we'll see, we'll read it, it's not very long. Um, Psalm 8, we'll pick it up in, in verse 1 here. Again, see if you can see where Genesis 1 is coming into play here. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings or angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Is this song first of praise to God? I mean, it starts and ends with this phrase, O Lord, how majestic is your name. It's a, it's a song writer who is overwhelmed with who God is, with how great He is. And he's looking at creation. He's looking at the heavens and the stars and the moon and the animals around Him. And he's just just marveling at it. And then he goes back. You see that in in verse 5 and 6? He goes back to Genesis 1. What is man? I mean, what is man that you would care for us? What is man that you would single us out and give us this special role in creation? What is man that you would give him dominion over the things that you've created, that you would put 
the animals, the birds, under his feet. Now, Psalm 8 is a tension-filled psalm. It's a tension-filled psalm because it's declaring the truth that we find in Genesis 1, but the, the problem is the reality around us doesn't confirm that. Like, like it's, it's declaring the truth that, that man has everything under his feet, that he's ruling wisely, that he's the image of God, that he's subduing and having dominion over things. He's bringing God's future. He's bringing God's justice and peace to all of creation. But the truth is you look around, but then and now, that's not what's happening. And that's not what's happening. I mean, we, we just talked about this. There's violence, oppression, poverty, sickness, death everywhere. It's tension-filled. So what the Hebrews um, thought was that Psalm 8 holds out hope that one day this purpose would be fulfilled. It's, it's full of tension because it seems in a sense that this is not the reality of things around us. Which takes us back to Hebrews 2 because that's what the author of Hebrews is going to say. He's going to quote Psalm 8 and then go, but this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to say this because that's not the reality of the world around us. Um, but he does find one in whom Psalm 8 makes sense. So Hebrews 2, we're back, we'll pick it up. Uh, in the middle of verse 8 here. He's just quoted Psalm 8, which he just read, verse 4, 5, and 6. And he says this. He's thinking the same thoughts we are. That doesn't make sense. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. I think this hymn is man. And he's saying, again, what we just thought. This, how can Psalm 8 be true? I mean, how can we say something like this? How are we to understand a statement like this? How are we to understand God's purposes for mankind when it seems like the world around us is, is in chaos? When it seems like we've done a very bad job of governing God's creation? Well, the author of Hebrews is going to say, Psalm 8 seems to make perfect sense in light of the man, Jesus. And so in verse 9, we'll, we'll look at it, he he sees Psalm 8 in, in three different parts played out in Jesus' life, in Jesus' work. And he says, this is how Psalm 8 makes sense. Because by itself, Psalm 8 seems unlikely if not impossible. I mean, this quotation. I mean, it's not the truth of the world around us. We've sinned, we've fallen, the world is in a mess. And we're fighting with each other. We're fighting with creation. We're not governing the way that God would want us to govern. But the psalmist looks and, and sees one who fulfills Psalm 8, verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He says that um, Psalm 8, this this role has been fully realized in the person named Jesus, in the man named Jesus. And so he's going to work out here in verse 9 uh, three ways that he sees Psalm 8 worked out in Jesus' life. And he's, he's going to say, when I read Psalm 8, it only makes sense for me in light of who Jesus is. And so he's going to center his hope on Christ. He's going to center the world to come on his authority, on his rule. The one who is faithful where we were faithless. And the one who has done for us what we 
needed to be done for us. The first way uh, he does this is, he says in verse 9, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Uh, he, he's saying he, if Jesus fulfills Psalm 8 in his incarnation, in becoming man, um, in, in taking on the flesh, as the scriptures say, and in incarnating himself, dwelling among us as man. Um, the scriptures uh, would teach that, that Jesus was 100% man. And so, almost all heresy, almost all the time when a church, the church says that's not true, it has to do with um, misunderstanding who Jesus was. And saying, well, he was man but not God, or God but not man, or he was half God and half man, or he was mostly God and a little bit man, or mostly man and a little bit God. Scriptures and, and really Christian faith historically have said he's 100% man and 100% God. And it doesn't make sense, and that's okay. And so sometimes I think, it, for us, we, we view Jesus as this kind of superhero. And he kind of flies around and, and doesn't... But the, he was a man. When he was a man, you could feel him. You could hurt him. He had sweat. He had blood. He had tears. He laughed. He cried. He was a man. He ate. He was a man. And, and he says he, he was made lower than angels. He, he reads that statement in Psalm 8 and says that, that was Christ. That was Jesus. So he identifies with us as a man. And he's made lower than angels. He, he suffers and dies. And then he's crowned with glory and honor. He fulfills Psalm 8 with his exaltation. He's crowned with glory and honor. So this has been all throughout Hebrews so far. Um, that Christ, after his resurrection, has been enthroned, exalted as the Lord and King of all creation. That he sits at the Father's right hand and authority over all of it. Now this is what Hebrews calls crowned with glory and honor. That he has now gone into man's role as governing creation. And because of that, he can now lead creation into its future. In a real sense, I mean, we're seeing here, Jesus is what man was always intended to be. He's stepping in where we failed and doing what we needed but couldn't do for ourselves. And then lastly, he, he fulfills this psalm um, with his, his final triumph. His final triumph when all things will be finally subjected to him. When he'll reign forever. When death itself will be defeated. As, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15. So the author, he, he looks at Psalm 8 and he says, how could this be true? How could we say something like this? And he goes, I know because there was a man named Jesus who has done this. He's done this. Notice that, that he did this um, through suffering. It was accomplished through suffering. This is a huge point to get. He didn't come and conquer what was plaguing the world, was plaguing you and I. He didn't do it by military power. And he didn't do it by social manipulation. He did it by dying. He did it by suffering. He did it by letting evil defeat him. And so in the New Testament, I mean, really all ethics, all of our behavior is built off this idea that you don't defeat evil with more evil. You defeat evil with suffering, with good, with faithfulness. He did it through suffering. He died so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. First, this victory is a, is a gift, the grace of God. It's because God loved us and had kindness toward us and had mercy toward us. 
He saw us gone astray, and He didn't strike us down. He didn't kill us all. But He said, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to provide a way for them. I'm going to restore creation. I'm going to keep this thing going where it's intended to go. And then he, by his grace, he, he tastes death for everyone. This is one of the deepest truths of the New Testament. And so a lot of the rest of Hebrews will be spent working out what this means and, and what it looked like and the details of this. But for now, he just gives us this phrase that on his cross, as he died, he was our representative or our substitute, if you will. He tasted death. He drank death so that you and I would not. And this is the heart of Christian faith. This is the soul of our endurance. The, the art of Christian living is, is learning how to see that and see the cross and see his death and say with faith, with belief that that was for me. That as he died on the cross, he drank my punishment. He suffered my consequences. And now I'm freed. I'm forgiven. I'm bought with His blood. I'm given eternal life. By His grace, Christ tasted death for everyone. So in a real sense here, Jesus is portrayed as the true human being. I mean, He was what humans were always intended to be. He's the complete, the perfect, the final human. He's done, again, what we didn't do because we failed, and then what we needed because of the consequences for our failure. He stepped in to do what we couldn't do, and then he's reversed the junk that we've created. So, I mean, we, we, I mean, you look around, there's war and violence and oppression, and people are dying, and people are sick, and there's all this weight around us. And the scripture is saying, He is our hope. Who rules the world to come? Who brings God's redemption? Who leads us into the future? Who conquers death? It's the man. The man who stands among men. It's Christ. It's Jesus. So we'll wrap up like this. Last Saturday, uh, so not yesterday, but a week, uh, a week behind yesterday, um, I had a dream Saturday night, um, and I woke up at like 3.30, and it was kind of in a cold sweat. Uh, and uh, so I spent a couple of minutes trying to like recreate the dream. And, and you know, what was I dreaming? And the dream was that uh, a friend of mine uh, who I care about a lot uh, and who's just had a real hard life, I mean, just really suffered a lot, uh, had died. Um, and in the dream, I mean, it just tore me up and I, I couldn't handle it at all. Uh, I mean... This is kind of, I'm not funny, but in the dream, I actually quit from the church and I moved to like Albuquerque and just started drinking a whole lot. Uh, but I just couldn't handle it in the dream world. Um, and so I woke up in this cold sweat and, and I'm piecing together it and, and it just shook me like at the core. Um, and so I'm having like, like it didn't happen. They're all right. I mean, I'm not quitting. I'm not going to start drinking. Like we're okay. We're good to go. But it was just this weird, like the weight of the darkness around us, the weight of kind of what's gone wrong, was just resting on me. I didn't go back to sleep Saturday. I don't know if you could tell last week, but I was a little bit off. And it was just, I mean, it's just weird. I mean, it's just a dream. I mean, it's just a nightmare. Here's the truth. All of us 
are going to at some point feel that weight. And I think some of us feel it constantly. And I don't know if that's a gift or a curse. Some of us, I mean, we, we feel it more constantly than others. Others of us are good at, at kind of hiding it, pushing it away, ignoring it, and then it kind of hits us out of nowhere and we, we have to deal with it. The truth is, I mean, no matter what we do, I mean, we're helpless. Like, I mean, every single one of us in this room is going to die if Christ doesn't come back. So, 30 minutes closer. I mean, it's just coming. I mean, that's just the reality. And so, I mean, we, you feel that weight, and it's going to hit you. If it's not hitting you, it's going to hit you. And the scriptures say, He is our hope. Our hope's not in... My hope's not in me. My hope's not in you. Your hope's not in me. Your hope's not in medicine or technology. Your hope is in the God of the universe who became flesh, became man, and won that a victory for you. Tasted death so that you won't taste it. And when you see him, not when you see you, maybe when you see the failure of you, the failure of, of mankind, but you see Him, I mean, you, you worship, and this loyalty is created, and this service is created, and you obey, and you follow, you praise. So I'm just praying this morning that we're, I mean, Hebrews is just such a Jesus-centered book. As we go through it, I mean, a lot of it's just going to be, this is who Jesus is. See Him, look at Him. Love Him. Praise Him. This is the one who tasted death so that you won't taste it. I mean, can you let that resonate in your heart this morning? And would that not change the way we worship? Would that not change the way we chase after Him? Would that not change what we run to when things get hard? When we're confused? When the darkness closes in around us? Will that not change the way we see ourselves and our past and our future, our purpose, our destiny? Will that not change the, the loyalty and worship and obedience and service that we give Him? This is Jesus, the man among men, the one who has fulfilled our destiny and who saved us from, from ourselves. And I'm just praying this morning that we, we see Him and, and that we can respond with worship, praise, and love, devotion. Let's pray together.